Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. One of the things going into 2022 that I had kind of a conviction that I needed was a counselor. Um, so through a long story of calling a few pastor friends of mine that weren't even in the area, it led me to this man that I'm getting ready to introduce you uh, to, Jim, which I've been meeting with for the last year. Absolutely love this man. Uh, has been so influ- influential for me to just have um, someone to listen to me and tell me I'm not crazy uh, and tell me to keep going and all those good things. Uh, but Jim... Not only is he a full-time counselor right now, um, but he's been a lead pastor of a church uh, in Greensboro. He's been a staff pastor uh, on a church uh, in Wilmington in the last I did, five, six years, ten years? How long? Ten years. I've uh, been doing full-time counseling, um, and I've been waiting for this moment to bring here, not to, not to elevate. People have already put pressure on him, <laughs> heard, um, but I'm excited for him to be here and to share with us this morning. Um, so I'm going to invite Jim up, and then I'm going to pray over him and just let him, let him go on you. Y'all ready? Okay. So, dearly Father, Lord, I thank you for this man. Uh, Lord, I thank you for what he's meant to me. And I thank you for the ministries that you've led him in uh, and to and serving and the ministry that he continues to do. So, Lord, I just pray that he would bless us today uh, with your word and that, Lord, we would be encouraged uh, and moved and motivated um, to follow you at all cost. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, I, as Heath said, I've been a pastor for about 20, I don't know, 27, 28 years, and now I've been a counselor for four or five years. I am your average guy that loves Jesus. That's the bottom line. I grew up in southern West Virginia. At my, from my perspective, that's probably the center of the universe. Um, we grew up there, went to Marshall University, met my wife there. We've been married almost 48 years this summer. We were 11 when we got married. <laughs> been married a long time and uh, greatest thing other than Jesus I've ever done. Two girls, uh, I cry a lot. I don't know why, I just do. It's part of the deal. That's what you get. You get it all. You're going to get it all today. So uh, two girls, one in Raleigh with a husband named John, two boys up there, and another daughter in Charleston with a husband named John. We keep it simple because, you know, the older you get, you forget stuff. So I just say John and somebody comes. So there's, uh, and they have two boys. We were visiting them last week and my uh, seven-year-old and I played horse and I finally won. Um, it was a seven-foot goal, but that's not a problem. I, you know, I played with Nick and Bruce, and not Nick and Bruce, Wyatt. See there, you forget Wyatt and Cody. And but I'm here today um, because I really believe that God is doing something on the earth right now. We're in a time of significance, and I hope that you brought like a pen, or something to write with. Um, I had a sermon prepared for you on anxiety. That's not what we're doing today. I was too anxious. No, that's not what we're doing. (laughs) So what I want to talk about today, um, I don't know if you've noticed in the news, but at Asbury University, there's a real outpouring that has happened over the last probably 15 days. And it's beginning to spread. And I don't know if you're familiar with any of this, but like um, at Texas A&M, for instance, they're meeting outside Kyle Field. That's where the Aggies play football. And they're meeting there every night, student-led. Nobody's planning it. But things are just happening. And there's some basic ingredients that are taking place in all of these places. They said over 200 universities are beginning to see things happen that are student-led, that involve 
a turning of their hearts and just some things are taking place. And so I began to look at that and the Lord said, I want to show you three or four things that are going to happen in almost any place. We sang, we asked the Lord for a revival a while ago. We sang that a while ago. I was laughing because every time I preach, you know, in the old days, um, we would get together and plan what songs and all that. And I finally, about 10 years in, realized I'm going to let God really do that planning. And so I would plan a message and invariably I would come up and the music would fit right in. It did again today. It did again today. And so when you sang earlier that we want revival and we want to see some things, I want to give you a picture of what that will look like in your life. Because as uh, as the media began to hear about Asbury, they began to want to go in there. For instance, Tucker Carlson reported about it on Fox News, and it was a big deal. The next day, Fox planned a team to go. And they called Asbury, and Asbury said, we don't really want you to come. Because this is a nameless, titleless, none of us are leading, this is all God. And we don't want to get in the way. There were some famous worship leaders that called and wanted to go in and wanted to help lead worship. And they said, no, this isn't a concert. We're not going to be selling merch. We just want to encounter with Jesus. And so some of those people, I heard that Carrie Job put a hat on and snuck in as a student just to be in there. So what's happening is God is beginning to touch people's hearts on a deeper level. And I honestly believe it started at the first of the year, quite frankly. I believe it started in early January, and suddenly people's hearts started getting changed. And they started dealing with issues, and they started looking at things in a, from his perspective. Now, the media tried to call it a, a revival or an awakening, and, and um, so there was one interview that I saw that a guy did, and and uh, they asked him, they said, well, what would you call this? You said it was a revival. And, you know, they were just trying to help people understand because, see, in Corinthians it says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so as a person, if you're not a believer, if you don't have any kind of depth in your heart, you won't fully understand. It'll look kind of crazy. It looks crazy to stay in an auditorium all night just because you love God. You're like, wait, dude, aren't you going to sleep? Do you have to go to the bathroom? What about a shower? Are you going to go get something to eat? What? But when you're so locked in to the things of God and, and your heart has been captured, it changes you. And God is not wanting to wreck our lives in a negative way, but rather he's wanting to just create a warming in our own hearts because I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I'll be 69 in April, and I've never seen our country so split up and divided, ever. I mean, we get offended over the stupidest stuff. You can't say certain things. That's just stupid. And God is just quietly making a statement, I'm going to wake the church up. And he's waking the church up. That's what's happening. I'm excited about that. And I'm really glad to see that finally the power is being restored. Finally, we're being available to people. Finally, we're not going to be afraid to talk. Finally, we're going to really pray for the sake of praying and nothing more. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, God. So he's doing this. I want to give you just a little tiny history, and then we're going to look at four, what I would call, four main ingredients that you're going to see in a revival. And these show up all the time. You know, you'll hear people say, well, I remember or I read about the Great Awakening. Well, these awakenings have occurred in our country. There's been four large ones. 1730 to 1755, there was an awakening that began to happen 
You've heard of uh, George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley. You've heard of Jonathan Edwards. And they all talked about salvations and sanctification. And, and so there was an influence of the gospel that had not happened up to that point in our colonies and in, in America. It's interesting, 50 years later, this continued. And if you remember the Methodist circuit riders, they would go out into outlying areas and they would begin to teach and preach. And during that time, the, the church dealt a lot with social reform and they began to establish schools and universities. Duke University was founded in 1838 during that time. Think about, I want you to think about these things because Duke was established so families could send their kids there to understand the Christian faith. Right. 1834, four years prior to that, Wake Forest was planted. Wake Forest was initially planted above Raleigh in a little town, which is now called Wake Forest, and then... Of course, a schism happened, and some of the leaders said, I know what we'll do. We'll take this school somewhere else. So they moved to Winston-Salem. That's where Wake Forest University is now. That all got birthed out of that second great awakening. So you see, God was quietly trying to do some things. Wake was uh, had a Baptist influence, if you've ever lived in the triad up there, uh, their hospital is just called Baptist for those of us who were local up there. It was just Baptist Hospital, but it was now it's Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. But all of that came initially out of the heart of the church trying to do something to help people. Guilford College in uh, Greensboro, 1837, influenced by the Quakers, that was all planted. And then Davidson University down below Charlotte. That's where Steph Curry went to school. That's where he scored, and that's where he was told he wasn't good enough to play in the ACC. Okay. So all of that happened because the church was awakened by God. A little bit later, in 1855, they started dealing with social issues. They they dealt with the abolition of slavery during that time. The YMCA was formed, basketball. So the church has always had an influence in our culture, always. And what's been going on has tried to silence that, has tried to keep us from getting our voice back because we really have the answer. You know, people ask me, they say, well, how did you move from the church to being a counselor? Well, it's... It's not that complicated. In the church, I integrated the best of theological understanding that I could have. And I gave people, and I still do, I give people forgiveness. I help them understand why it's important to stop certain behaviors and start certain things. I help them understand what a godly marriage is supposed to look like. On the same time, when you're in a counseling setting like I'm in, I have to use sometimes clinical information and I have to help people understand what neural pathways are and why their habits are so deeply ingrained and what does it mean to have a trauma bond and why do you respond and do that over and over and over. And so I integrate both of those to bring whole healing. Because if I just give them clinical stuff and not Jesus, I haven't given them the whole package. If you just give them Jesus, but all you've got is pray and read your word, you're not giving them all the help that's out there because Jesus said truth would set you free. So you bring both and you bring that in and, you, and you're praying for people to be, for their lives to be restored because like you, my life was an absolute mess until I met Jesus. I met Jesus at Marshall. University, I went there to play baseball, didn't realize I went there to meet my wife. That was God's plan. My plan was to be a professional baseball pitcher. Worked at it, did all I could do until I walked out of a hospital with seven screws and a foot and realized, wow, this isn't going to go so well. And 
In the meantime, he began to talk to me about my purpose in life and what is it that you want to do with your life because I have a plan for you. I didn't know that plan. I didn't know anything about that at that point. And then during the last sort of great awakening, which happened from the 1960 to 1980, if I just say Billy Graham, you'll understand what happened during that time. So my meeting Jesus and it becoming personal was the great shift in the church that happened. The first three awakenings, we established schools, we did all these things, but then it became personal. And suddenly it was more than, well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm a Baptist. No. Billy Graham said, no, wait. I want to know what's in your heart of hearts and have you given your life to Jesus? And so things like Campus Crusade and Young Life and all those things got birthed out of that period of time. The movie that's out, Jesus Revolution, all of that got birthed during that time. And so I'm a product of that. I lived in that. When you see the movie, you'll see what it was like when we grew up. It was weird and crazy. But it's got to be more than I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Methodist. It's got to be a personal thing. And revival is always personal. It's always personal first. So let's talk about sort of the fruit of what comes out of a revival because there's almost always a point where the lost start getting reached. The guy said the other night they've had hundreds of kids give their lives to Jesus in Asbury. Just in the last 12 days. Hundreds. Not a few, hundreds. And it's happening in other places on other university campuses. They said, we're seeing people repent of stuff that's been hidden in their lives forever. And we're seeing kids that have um, are, are giving up things that are hidden in their lives. And there's hidden sin that's being revealed. We're seeing healing starting to happen. So there's a full-on Acts experience that's currently going on. So I'm sitting here, I'm obviously not in college, I'm saying, Lord, ah, I just want to taste that. So I'm like looking at Facebook Live, I'm watching it, and we're doing all we can do to be a part of that, because if God's doing something, I want to be in it. Do y'all want that? Do you want to be in whatever he's doing? Because if he's doing something big, I want to be in it. Not because I like to have big stuff, but I want to be in it. I want to taste that. I want a taste of what it feels like to cry when worship happens. I want to read my Bible and have it be so impactful that it changes the way I treat my family. I don't want to read it as history. I want to read it as him talking to me saying, now today this is what I need you to do. I also want to read it because I grew up in not a broken home, but a sort of broken home. My father was on at Normandy and... He came back from World War II, sort of a different man. If any of you know your history, that was a, just a horrible place. And he came back from World War II, and so I had a great father, but I didn't have an emotional connection with him. So I didn't know how to be emotionally present. And I didn't know, and so when I hear this gospel that says God loves you and has a plan for your life, I'm thinking, so what is that all about? I don't know anything about that. I didn't know what it meant to be loved. And suddenly he began to quietly put people around me. He began to quietly open my heart and he began to quietly do some things that I'd never experienced. And I began to deal with things. I had learned how to be hard. When you grow up in a Division One, or when you play a Division One sport at a pretty good sized school, you know, you, got, you don't sit around and practice saying, you know, I'm feeling really rejected today. No, you don't do that. That's not what happens. And you develop this exterior, and you develop this hardness. Well, the first thing that happens in a revival is God begins to look at those things. And so that if, you're, if you're writing anything down, the first one is you choose to look inside when you begin to encounter God on a revival. Look at Psalm 139. 
Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. The New American Standard says any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, in the early days, I would read that, Search Diane, O Lord. Try her heart. And see if there's any grievous way in her. And lead her. Because you know I'm okay. I know none of y'all ever done that. See, a revival causes us to look at our heart, not everybody else's heart. We live in a culture that is a blaming culture. And it's always somebody else's problem. It's, it's always somebody else's issue. It's always circumstances. Well, if you worked where I worked, you'd be a gossip too. It's always all those other things. But the first thing in revival that God does is he causes us to look inside. He says, let's, let's look at your heart. There's this little thing that, that I talk about a lot in my counseling practice. I talk about this thing called a blind spot. You know what a blind spot is. It's something you can't see. Here's the problem. Everybody else can see it. You can't see it. I had someone that I worked with in Greensboro that at one point said, hey, can we talk for a minute? I said, sure. You know, I thought they wanted some wise counsel. <laughs> they said, have you ever wondered why when we have a conversation, we always end up talking about you? Blind spot. I said, that can't be true. I, I teach about this stuff. Nope, happens all the time. I had a choice. I could have either gotten mad and said, well, we're not going to need you anymore because she did work with us. Or I can say, well, if I'm like that, I don't want to be like that. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there's anything in me that's grievous. The word search there in the Hebrew means to look at the sentiment of what's in there. Look at your motives. Look at your actions. See, for me, I was so insecure during those days. I was just an insecure guy trying to act big. None of y'all have done that, but I have. I was very insecure And I had a low self-esteem. And so what would happen is I would always create this bigness to impress people to make them think I was okay. But deep inside, search me, O God, and know my heart. My heart was not real confident in what God was doing in me. And so I said, well, if that's the way I am, I want to stop that. I don't want to just agree with you. I want to choose to be different. I don't know if you've had any blind spots or if anyone has had the courage to talk with you about them, but I can tell you that when you begin to look at blind spots, there is an unbelievable amount of freedom that happens. It felt so good not to try to live a false life. So, the first thing that's almost always in a revival is God, search me, look at my heart and help me. The second thing that's almost always there is you will, I'm asking you and, and I'm doing, choose authentic repentance. Repentance is a choice. Psalm 51. Listen to this. This is David after he has uh, committed uh, sin with Bathsheba. He's had Bathsheba's husband killed. And he's committed adultery with that guy's wife. And a prophet went to him and said, you're the guy. And this, is how, this was his response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving devotion. And another version says kindness. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me clean of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. And then this is really key. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be proved right when you speak and blameless when you judge. Then on down in verse 11, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here's the deal about sin. Sin is not, it's not benign. Sin has the uncanny ability of being able to separate and divide. When I'm walking in sin with someone, when I am judging them or I've been gossiping about them or whatever, I mean, what happens? You just like avoid them. Why is that? Because sin divides. If I talk with someone about a secret sin in my office that they've never told anyone, I hear a lot. I hear people say, I've never told anybody. I said, that's okay. It doesn't leave this room. I'm never going to mention it. But sometimes when people say, I've done this, and they say, and I'm just no, I'm not close to my kids anymore, and I'm really separated from my wife right now. Look at this verse in Isaiah 59. I'm going to read this out of my Bible. This is Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it can't save, or his ear dull that it can't hear. But your iniquities, he's talking to the whole nation of Israel, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. That's the nature of sin. Your iniquities have made a separation. And then he says, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear. It's not that he can't hear, but he chooses to separate himself because he's a holy God. See, that's the great thing about Jesus. And this is old covenant. This is old covenant theology that's talking about Israel and the fact that grace was contingent on obedience. In the new covenant that Jesus gave us, grace is contingent on giving your life to him, accepting his penalty, and you're now free. So you get forgiveness, you get all this. It's a free gift. The gospel is a free gift. As you're reading this, though, the nature of sin is really clear. He says, your sins have hidden his face. And then he says, your hands have got blood on them, your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wickedness. Sin always divides, and it always separates. Smallest one. little bit of gossip. You're different. A little bit of judgment, you're different. You're just different. I'm just saying that's what happened. So, you don't have to be, you know, microscopic and searching every part of your life, but I'm saying in a revival, God comes and he shines the light. And I don't know about you, but when that young lady said to me, we always talk about you. That was really good for me. Who wants to be around someone like that? I don't even want to be around somebody like that. But I needed to hear it. It was good. So the second thing that God does in a revival, he causes us to look inside, and then he causes us to authentically repent. And let me give you a little thought about repentance. It's not just admitting I looked up repentance, and uh, I thought this was interesting with, um, I tell you, Wikipedia says repentance is to express sincere regret about something. Well, that's nice. It's just not biblical. The biblical word for repentance is a Greek word called metanoia. It's a compound word. Meta and noia comes from nuos. It means to change your mind. 
See, if you just come and say, hey, you know I lie a lot. You haven't repented. We just had a conversation about your lying. But if you come and say, I'm lying a lot, and I'm going to begin to choose to tell the truth. Now you've repented. See, it's an admittance, and then it's a choice to change. And that's very different. So you admit it. Yes, I end up talking about myself a lot. And you know what? I don't want to do that anymore, and I'm going to catch myself, and I'm asking you, because she worked in my office every single day, When you catch me doing it, tell me. Tell me. Because it's a blind spot. In revival, God goes after those things. Because they just kind of sneak in. And you know, I don't know about you, but you get to where you tolerate stuff. Do you all ever tolerate things? You get to where you just tolerate it, and before you know it, Your heart is like a hundred miles away from where it needs to be and God can't really do things in there because you've allowed that to hang around in there. So you admit it and then you choose to live differently. That's real repentance. Remember when Jesus, when they brought the woman to Jesus in adultery in John 8? Remember what he said at the very end? I don't condemn you either. Go and what? Send no more. He just didn't say, good on you. You admitted your stuff. Way to go. No, he said, go and live differently. Look inside. Choose authentic repentance. And here's the third one. Three out of four. Choose unity. We're going to choose unity. A real revival, suddenly all those things you have against people, they just kind of get dealt with. Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, this is Paul, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word there in the original, spadazzo, it means to hurry and be diligent. In other words, if you know you've got something against somebody, go make it right. I had a friend who was a pastor here in Wilmington. We've, we moved here in 89. We were gone for a while. I helped, I've pastored in four different churches. And he was a friend of mine, and I knew that he had something up his crawl about another pastor. I knew that. Every time we were together, I'd notice he would never talk to him. Every time we were alone, he didn't have anything good to say about his ministry. And these are were influential people in Wilmington. Hey, can we talk for a second? Sure, come on in. I said, hey, you know, I've just kind of noticed. This is me. Because I'm thinking... Lord, I'm pastoring this little Presbyterian church. I don't have any influence in these guys' lives. I knocked on the door and I said, can we talk for a second? He said, yeah. I said, I just got a minute. I just want to run something by you. I was reading this thing in uh, Ephesians. It said, make every effort. I said, I'm pretty sure you have an offense against so-and-so. And he said, what gives you that idea? I said, well, do you never have anything good to say about him? You barely will speak to him. You don't really want to, when we do prayer together, you have trouble praying for him. What is that? He said, you're right. I said, you know, I know you've tried, but the word says make every effort. Have you made that another phone call? Have you tried one more time to make it right, whatever it was? Have you done something to just sort of work in there a little bit? Because that's making every effort. Not the minimum. (laughs) We're not talking about the minimum here. I'm talking about 
You're a leader, and this will affect two large ministries in this city. Have you made that effort? He said, nope, but I will. Because, see, I knew him well enough to know his heart. That's called an offended heart. Hebrews, in uh, Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is Hebrews twelve fourteen. Now watch this one. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So he says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up. Remember what I said about sin? What does sin do? It separates and divides people. That bitterness was threatening to divide the unity between those two pastors. Let me give you some signs of an offended heart, Just, and I'm asking you to just look at you and see if there's anybody that you've got an offended heart toward. This, these are like characteristics of this, and I'm going to race through these um, as quick as I can. There's a clock up here. Do y'all know there's a clock up here? <laughs> does, it, does it go off or blow up or anything? <laughs> okay, good. So I, only, I have about two hours more. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Signs of an offended heart, because we've said we want to choose unity. We've said we want revival. This is what it looks like. If you have an offended heart, these are the things you end up probably doing. First of all, you avoid the person. You just end up avoiding them. You'd never say it. But if you find out at the holidays they're going to that gathering, you may go later hoping they're not there. You have no grace for that person. You just have no grace for them. Here's the other thing that happens. Your relationship with Jesus becomes contaminated. See, you can't be separated from people and then try to develop unity with Jesus. I'm going to tell you a really fast, funny story just to help you see this. When I was in seminary, I was in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm from the South. That should explain some things. I'm from the South, so... I am constantly being asked to say certain things. I went to a grocery store to try to find grits. They didn't even know what it was. They said, what is that? I said, if you don't know, you probably don't have them. I was frustrated one day coming home from seminary. I I loved going to seminary, by the way. It wasn't a cemetery for me. It was a great thing because I love the Lord and I love the Word. So I'm going there. Coming home, this guy, the traffic up there was just different. So um, I'm driving home, and this guy is, you know, laying on it, pushing me, pushing me. And I pulled over. I let him pass me. And what did I do? I got in behind him. And now I'm chasing him home. Good godly man there, chasing this guy home. I chase him home. He goes into his garage I get out of my car, he tries to shut the door, and I grab it. I'm now out of control, right? We have an argument. He says, I'm going to go call somebody. I said, go ahead. Went home. I went home. He went inside. I acted like nothing happened. I get up the next morning. I'm going to have my quiet time. No. God says, you need to write that guy an apology. I said, did you see what he did to me? He said, it doesn't matter. This is about you and your heart. You see, God won't let us stay. He'll just go radio silent on us when we have stuff hidden in here. That's why the greatest thing about counseling for me and being having the privilege of helping people is that I get to help people get that stuff out and release it because what ends up happening, here's the deal. When you choose bitterness and you choose to not forgive, you're the one that suffers. 
revival comes to wash all that away. And I am so grateful. So my relationship with Jesus was contaminated. And here's the things, if you hold on to it, that are happening. You end up with a hard heart. You'll have cold love. Worship won't move you like it used to. Your worship will be hindered. Your prayer life will suffer if you hold on to something. This one is also interesting. You, you have trouble remaining teachable when you have an offended heart. Nobody can teach you anything when you have an offended heart. It just happens. I mean, here I'm going to open up my word. I'm going to get up my Greek and Hebrew. And God says, hey, you need to write that guy an apology. Because that's more important to him. That's how much he wants unity. Your quiet times are dry. And then this one, your guilt, you end up sort of causing your offense to go global. I wasn't mad at that guy. I was mad at all of New England. You're all like this. None of you know how to drive. You don't even know how to make tea. You know, it just got global. And that's what happens when that stuff hides in our heart. It just gets global. Oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you people? Nothing. But when you don't deal with it, it gets big all by itself. It's like getting offended in a church. And then what happens? All churches are like that. No, they're not. Or if you get offended by a pastor, they're all like that. No, just that one. See, it's, it gets big. You get the point. Sadness and depression quietly is the fruit of that stuff. That's the sign of perhaps an offended heart. You gradually begin to gossip, and before you know it, you end up isolated, lonely, and you blame others. I want to encourage you. If that's where you are, this was not meant to uncover you. This was meant to help you give it up. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Last one, number four. When a real revival comes, you learn how to walk in love on a deep level. You learn to really love. In Colossians, Paul writes, As God's chosen people, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, for as the Lord forgave you, you should forgive. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Those things are a choice. Those things are all a choice. So choose more compassion. Choose more kindness. You know, the issue with the guy in Boston was not his driving. You know what the real issue was? My impatience. I mean, I was doing important stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's how you think. You end up justifying the crazy. I was, I'm, I'm a seminary student. Get out of my way. What? Yeah, no. See, that's my heart. That's not his driving. That's not the fact that he's from New England. That's the fact that God wanted to work in my heart. And that's what he was doing. This letter to Paul, or that Paul wrote to the Colossians, uh, when he uses this term, put on, it's a choice to take some things off. It's like if I took this sweater off and then put on a vest or put on another sweater, so you, you take away or you take off the things that are not compassion. You take off the pride and you take off the rudeness 
and you take off the harshness and the impatience, and then you put on these other things. Listen, when there is a real outpouring of his presence, those things end up not mattering. It just doesn't matter. Some stuff just doesn't matter. I remember once working with a couple that was wrestling, and, and they, had, they had some stuff between them that caused them to wrestle a lot. I, I, did, I prayed over them. We did all kinds of stuff. And finally, we wrote, they both got to write their grievances on a whiteboard in my office. We write them all down here, and we write them all down here. And I said, these were the first things we talked about nine months ago. Is there any chance that we just erase this baby and start over? A revival will do that. He'll just come in and say, let it go. Just let it go. It's not worth it. You're the one that's trapped. It's not worth it. I don't know about you, but I want him. I don't want to live outside of the freedom that was bought for me with Jesus. I want to walk in that. I want to walk in all that he has for me. And I'll be honest, when I heard the Lord, when, when he started giving me all this last week, I want to tell you what he said about you guys. He said, I love that church. I love those people. And I want them free. I want them free. And so I want to tell you, I know this is, this is a hard word. You don't hear this kind of stuff in a lot of churches often. But I want you to know, it is so worth it, man. To let him deal with what's in you. If you if you wrestle with pride, okay, let's just give it to him. First John says what? If we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. A revival is about a cleansing of the body and releasing fresh vision for the kingdom. That's what I want. We, my wife and I attend a church in, in uh, Wilmington. I was on staff there, and now I just attend. I'm, I'm on the teardown team. I stack chairs and take down pipe and drape. If y'all need some help, I can help you. But that's my role there now. We pray for some people during the service. But other than that, but there's a kingdom out there, and there's a vision that God wants to release and when there's stuff in the way, when there's people I can't talk to because they offended me three months ago in children's ministry, or when there's people that are, that are difficult and they're hidden in my heart, and well, that keeps me from being able to do this stuff with freedom. I want you free. When, when Heath and I talked, uh, he said, I want you to come preach. I said, okay, are they okay? Are they, can I, what's it like? He said, preach whatever you want. I said, all right. Because from time to time, the Lord uses me to pierce through things that some people won't say. So, here's a little response for us. I want to do this if you would humor me just for a second. I'm not going to uncover you. I'm not going to embarrass you. If you've got anything that you want to pray about, or if you maybe have somebody you'd like to just release and forgive, or if you have a habit you want to, if you've got something hidden that's separating you, if there's anything like that, I just want to pray for you. All I'm going to do is pray right here, and then I'm going to go, and the worship team's going to come back. But I'd like to pray for you. I feel like I, the Lord gave me this, and I know that he wants you free because he loves you. So um, I want everybody to just close your eyes.
if you do that, to create some safety for people because it's not easy. And if you've got something that you want me to pray about, I'm not going to come to you. I'm going to pray right here. I'm just going to pray a general prayer. But what you're doing is business between you and the Lord right here. So if you would just close your eyes and just in, in your own heart, search me, O oh God. Uh, let's uh, do business. Is there anybody that I can pray with? Anybody need any prayer whatsoever? If you would put your hand up, just a minute. Okay. You can put them down. Lord Jesus, the people that raised their hands, I'm asking. I'm asking that you just begin to gently and ever so clearly help them see what they need to look at. You know the courage it takes to raise your hand. You know how hard that is. And I'm asking right now that you cause them to see their heart, cause them to see their own life, and cause them to give that up. I pray for a great move of repentance. I pray that as they leave here and if they realize they didn't have the courage to raise their hand, I pray that you would help them begin to deal with whatever it is that's there. I thank you that you let me see a glimpse of your heart for this church, and I pray that you would let them know how much you love them. And I pray, Father, that if there's an offense here, that you would cause that to be washed away. I pray that if there's places where we've walled ourselves off, that you would set us free through your forgiveness. And God, lastly, I pray that you would cause us to cry out for you, to create in us clean hearts, and Lord, renew a right spirit in us. We want to be salty. We want to be salt and light again. We want to have a voice again. We want to have a courage to speak to people that need you. And God, as a people, I bless this church. I bless Heath and Judy and all they're doing and all their leaders. Everybody that is helping, Lord, I bless them. And I ask for great unity in this place. And I ask for fresh vision and an outpouring of your spirit here, Father. Thank you for these people. Thank you for these friends. And thank you for our brothers and sisters here. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.